Hey guys, and welcome to a new episode of Grenzenlos, your dance podcast. And as you can already hear, we're gonna do this whole episode in English. And I'm very happy to welcome Ines here today. Thank Hi you for guys. coming. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, so as you already found out, my name is Ines. Um, I'm 30 years old. I cannot believe it myself. Um, I live in Vienna and I'm a dancer and I work also in retail. Do you want to give us a bit more of a background? Like what did you already do when it comes to dancing? Which styles, etc.? So as I mentioned, uh, maybe that I'm a dancer, yes, but I'm also a dance teacher. So far, um, I have my weekly classes here in Vienna right now. And the style that I teach is dancehall. And there has been a long journey to this place that I actually really fell in love with this culture. Um, but yeah, I started actually when I was uh, 12 years old. I um, signed myself up in a dance school. I was begging my mom to just allow me to go and look like the people on MTV when they dance in the music videos, very synchronic. <laughs> so yeah, I found the dance school and they were like um, teaching us like this style called Dance for Fans. It was like the original choreographies from the music videos. And yeah, that's how my journey started with dancing. It was first in the direction of, let's say, hip hop or slash commercial. Um, but um, yeah, after a while it developed a little bit in other directions. And um, yeah, I also love fashion. I was in fashion school for five years for fashion design. Um, and I also studied photography for a little bit. So all kinds of creative outlets were kind of my thing. And yeah, so the dancing though was always overtaking. And here I am today, still dancing with 30 years old. We're gonna talk a lot about your perspective on the dancehall culture today mm -hmm. and how important it is to dive into the culture. Yeah, but first let's get a better understanding. Why did you transition from like a more commercial scene to dancehall and what was your start of it? Mm -hmm. Sure. So I did uh, the commercial styles, let's say per se. I'm, I'm not sure if it's really a style itself, but um, these kind of dances, I did that for at least like, I think, 10 years of my career. And I really like it. I still like it. Um, there was just a point when I started to go to New York. Uh, there was a time when I went to New York for one year to study there at Broadway Dance Center. I did like a dance program. And um, before that, even before the program um, started, um, I was already traveling to New York sometimes. Every, every summer, I would just like really collect my money the whole year and then go and travel for three months to New York to learn, you know, and to become a background dancer. That was my main like goal. Like from a very young age, I wanted to become a background dancer for Sierra. That was my dream job. <laughs> But um, yeah, so when the time came around in 2015, I finally made my dream come true. You know, my, my parents helped me also with a loan. They took out a loan for me. I saved money for quite some years to, to get there. And when the program started, um, everything was going smoothly and nicely. But then there was a point when I got injured very early on in the program. And the way people behaved with me after I got injured was one of the reasons that made me kind of feel a little bit disconnected from the scene. That was one thing because I just felt like another number, which is normal because it's like this business. 
Um, it's a completely a different approach logically because it's um, about business and showcasing and performances. So there is just a different form of work ethic behind it, right? Which I still appreciate and appreciated at that time too. But it just made me feel somehow lonely in a sense. And I felt like um, when I was dancing in class and still continuing to take class, it just made me feel a little bit empty. And it's very sad to hear that in a sense, but it was also something very positive that could happen to me because that is actually what drew me to dancehall more closer. Uh, at that time, in 2015, I was already dancing uh, dancehall for a few years, but just like um, sometimes, like really just take workshops and stuff like this. But I wasn't really diving into the culture as of yet. And when I was there, and I got injured, then uh, what happened was um, the dance hall scene, because I used to take also classes in um, New York um, with the dance hall teachers. And once I started taking the classes there, um, I just realized while I was injured that these people were just more welcoming to me and that there was so much more behind this, like the vibe, there was just a different vibe to it. And I was just so curious to learn about what is this all about? Like, how come these people welcome me with open arms like this while I'm injured? I cannot actually give so much from my technique or anything. Uh, but they were still believing in me. They were still like, you know, treating me like nothing was different. And that actually was one initial step into the direction of diving deeper into the culture. So I started hanging around a lot of Jamaicans in, in New York going to parties, sessions, battles, like besides my program, I started then to really be everywhere else. Yeah. Like to crump um, sessions, uh, flexing sessions, battles, like, and a lot of dancehall parties, um, really like projects with Jamaicans and stuff like this. So that actually stole my heart in that moment. And this is how we develop more and more into it without me even wanting it or planning it in any form of way. But at the end of this uh, program, one year later, I was very thankful that the road has taken me in this direction. First, I was super lost, super anxious. I was like, why is this happening to me? It's my only time to become a background dancer. Now it's not working because I'm injured on my knee. I cannot do much. But then suddenly a new road just evolved for me and I was like wow a new door that opened a new door opened and I started to focus more and more and more on dance so and once I came back from the program actually my journey started um I came back from the program in 2016 and then around 2017 I started to teach already my first class and sub like substitute to the class for my friend Jasmine in Vienna in Again. Vienna mm -hmm. exactly in Vienna when I came back already back to Vienna I started to um, at that time you know my friend Jasmine and Janet they both were already doing that more intensely they were already teaching their classes and stuff so they allowed me to substitute their classes which was also a big step for me so that's how I actually the whole teaching around dancehall even started and how even diving even more and more into the culture started so yeah, that's how I kind of transitioned and why I also kind of found more interest now to dive in one specific culture instead of just having a variety of different movements in one together. Like because in commercial, you basically take from different cultures and you put it together into one showcase or um, 
yeah, just one performance basically. But uh, what for me is sometimes missing in those classes is really the foundation of those um, styles that you're actually taking from and the connection to it. Because you're taking the movement maybe and put it in a context where this movement itself, if you really looked into the movement deeper, maybe wouldn't even fit into this kind of lyrics or something, you know. So that made me kind of want to know more. One other aspect, though, that I do want to also bring up is that um, hip hop was actually the for first and foremost love of mine before I actually fell into dancehall. And the reason why I wanted to go to New York was actually because I wanted to learn also from the source authentically, besides the commercial thing. I wanted to really learn like from OGs in hip hop, which I did while I was also there. And that also blew my mind because it also opened this connection same way to dancehall. Because all of them were talking about this connection on how it all started with dancehall, with Jamaica. DJ Cool Herc, first DJ for hip hop, is a Jamaican. He took a lot of inspiration from Jamaica and how everything happens there. And this is how the toasting, the rap, everything started. So when I saw this connection between hip hop and dancehall, I was blown away. And that's what made me want to really go further and further into this island that I never even knew about before. Yeah. When coming back to Austria after you had like your big focus shift in that kind of way, what was your goal when you came back? <laughs> that's actually a very interesting question. I love it because when I came back, I was devastated. I did not want to come back first. <laughs> I remember this so vividly. It was August 2016. Um, how old was I? Um, I was like 24 years old, you know, and I just wanted to stay there longer and just continue on with the program. But, you know, time was over, money was over <laughs> and I came back. And the one thing I, I, I had in my mind was, okay, I want to do something with this, but I don't know yet how. So I started just to go back to work, which was like working in retail, which I always did besides you know like 20 hours a week or something just to make some money but I still didn't really have like a concrete plan on how can I put my foot down with dancing and how can I really become self-employed it was always back in the days very unrealistic somehow to look at this kind of job you know everybody always asks you like what do you do really like what is your real job like what you know and I'm like yeah I'm a dancer I'm a dancer but nobody really took me serious like that you know so I was already with my mind, okay, maybe I can teach, you know, like maybe I can do something in this direction, but I still didn't really believe in myself fully to do it. So that's why when these uh, moments came around, when my friends asked me to sub their classes, it was a big deal for me. I was actually really nervous to do it. And I used to refuse it even back in the days when I already got some requests in general to, to teach even commercial styles, you know, when I was younger. Um, but this time I overcame my fear and I just jumped into it and I did it. And that is what changed everything. Yeah. And then you had your focus on teaching dancehall already or still other styles or only dancehall? Um, I had actually then the focus to teach only dancehall. Yes. I sometimes, um, up until this day even, like sometimes still play with my mind on, you know, teaching some other styles or just anything, just choreo class, because I wouldn't even call it commercial or anything. Just choreo, like, you know, just whatever um, I learned over all these 20, almost 20 years of my dance journey. But so far, it's been still only on dance. So I maybe ta taught like one or two 
hip hop classes, like you know, substitute as mm -hmm. well. But other than this, I stayed on dancehall because that was the time when I dived so deep in it that I was almost like not deleting the rest, but putting it on the side so I can really absorb everything from this culture. Because it's really hard to get everything else out of your system when you learn something new. Because you're already so influenced by the old, which is nice. But for a new like style, a new groove, a new feeling, it's so important sometimes to allow the other feeling for a moment to breathe. To yeah, to go to the side and just breathe and allow it to be there. And yeah, so that's why I stayed with dancehall in those times. Okay, so you were starting to teach dancehall in Austria. And obviously, as we already talked before, dancehall is not our culture here in Austria. It's not that big of a scene. Mm -hmm. And you already said it's like for you really important to um, dive deeper into a culture. When was your first time really going to Jamaica? Yeah, my first time actually going to Jamaica was in 2017. So one year after I came back from... The program which was 2016 one year later i was already planning um actually i didn't plan it was very random that i ended up in jamaica i went again i planned again to go to new york which i did 2017 i went again like for four months to new york um in the summer and i wanted to go to jamaica before that already i just didn't have the connections to go there for the first time because You know, in the beginning, it's like good when you know people, like because it's still a lot of things going on in Jamaica and you have to just know where you're going and what you're doing. You cannot just like go by yourself everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like you have to really be alert on how you're gonna go about it. So in 2017, my friend Jasmine was going to Jamaica, uh, planned to go to Jamaica for one week only. <laughs> um, but it was enough, I think, because I don't know how to explain. It was like the craziest best one week of my life and so much happened in one week and I usually am a person I don't like to take trips less than one month <laughs> so mm -hmm. I don't like short trips you know but it happened like this so I was in New York my friend Jasmine came to New York then she said yeah she planned already to go to Jamaica I'm like okay let me see maybe I can come with you guys because it's not far from New York and that's how it started then I ended up with them in, uh, in Jamaica we had an amazing time I was fascinated by the culture and so many things that happen in this short amount of time the vibes everything so that's when I planned my next trip which was 2018 I uh, went to New York for two months and then one month Jamaica and that's how my journey started to go deeper and deeper and more often more often then I also had a relationship uh, with uh, with a person in Jamaica so that also drew me more to go more often because obviously I wanted to see him um, but all in all, it was like a good combination because I was able to combine it with my work and go there and really, you know, learn from the source, have classes on the streets and go to the parties in the streets, uh, which was just like amazing. Like, I don't know any other words for it, but just different, so different and so refreshing and so freeing for the mind in a complete different aspect that I was known to before. How did it influence your perspective on dancehall? Like really being in the culture, living there and being with the people? Well, I, I can only say this. In order to learn something, it's so important to be there in the scene. And even that is always going to restrict you to a certain point because I was not born and grew up, didn't grow up there. But if you can really find ways to experience this whole thing, 
right there with the people and feel and eat the same food and hear the, the language, see the, the fashion and the style, listen to the music all day long, see the scenery of the beaches and the beautiful nature that Jamaica has to offer. I think that all changes so much about how you go about it, how you respect the culture, why you fall in love with it and why it's so important to like also, how do you say, preserve this culture in many ways, you know, and to to help and stand up with people from there, to not like lose that. Now I understand more why people that are from that don't want to lose that. It's their identity, it's their culture, it's what they grew up with, they don't know anything different. Plus they cannot choose different, you know. We have so many privileges in other countries where we're like, oh, we pick and choose what I, we, we want, you know. But um, if you are from there and you live this day and in, day out, the good and the bad stuff, you know, then you cannot choose from it. But it makes you appreciate it differently. And I think that is what opened my eyes for it when I see people, how they live there. And also a lot of the really hard sides of it, like poverty, violence things that are happening there, you know, like sexism. A lot of things are happening there, but who am I to judge it? I'm just a visitor. So I'm just eager to learn more about why this country and the people develop this way, why they think this way and why they express themselves this way, which I appreciate, right? Which I benefit from not only like, let's say money-wise, because I teach, but which I benefit from really with my soul, so. That is basically, yeah. How did people react, or better said, you're a person you didn't you didn't grow up there or mm -hmm. anything, and um, you're teaching this culture in a country that has no connection to it actually. <laughs> um, how do people from Jamaica react on that? Do they like that that people take their culture and like spread it to the world, even though you're not born there, or is it? I don't know, you know, like mm -hmm. the kind of respect thing. How do mm -hmm. people react on that? That's actually a nice question. I really like this question because I would say it's like a two-sided sword. Mm -hmm. You know, on one hand, um, there's many Jamaicans that really appreciate it. And they also show their appreciation in many ways that there is kind of this bridge built. If it's done for the right reasons, of course, you always have to look at intention. But if you see that somebody really does it for the intention to connect you know, let's say European countries or different countries with Jamaica to build this bridge so people know more about it. Because back in the days, there was not so much social media. So, you know, it was really hard to get kind of like the knowledge and really spread it like that. There wasn't so much Instagram everywhere where you can see video every every second and you can learn all the moves and stuff like this. It was YouTube mostly where you can see some of the movements. But uh, the rest you had to figure out for yourself in some form of way or know people and um, go to classes and, and really learn the movements, you know. So, yeah, a lot of them really appreciate that, that there was this bridge like built between Jamaica and different countries. But a lot of people also, which I understand, are not happy about it because in the end, yes, nobody asked them, uh, not, not asked them, but nobody asked us to to take their culture and teach it, you know. Uh, we do it, right, for our own reasons. A lot of them maybe even very egoistic reasons, you know. So that's why it's so hard. We have to really look deep and filter out why we do what we do.
And I'm sure there's sometimes like an egoistic reason inside, like a benefit for yourself, of course. In any form of way, you have a benefit for yourself in some form of way, selfish benefit, let's say. But you have to look at the bigger picture, like what in the end still drives you to do that? Is there still also other reasons that benefit Jamaicans from it, you know? And if not, then how can you um, make it be beneficial for Jamaicans? How can you build... Um, you know, um, how do you say, spaces and um, opportunities where Jamaicans can benefit from you doing this, uh, which I always like to mention my friend also, Jasmine. Uh, she's really like putting a lot of effort into this aspect with organizing a lot of classes and workshops in Vienna. Before Jasmine, there were other people also that was doing it really nicely where they always like uh, bring people to Vienna uh, from Jamaica itself so they can benefit from it, where they can make the money for their workshops and their knowledge that they spread. So, yeah, a mix of that. I'm still trying to find out for myself where exactly I stand on that mm -hmm. and how I can do it because I, I have a hard time with the organization part. Um, I never learned that aspect. I'm really just learning it by trial and error. So that's why I'm still trying to find ways. What is like, who am I really in this and what can I bring and give, you know, in my own ways? So for me, the biggest aspect is at least the credit, <laughs> which is mentioning the creators of the movements, uh, making my students aware of workshops and everywhere when something is happening, making them be kind of curious about going to Jamaica and learning right there, you know, and when people are in Vienna, to go there, to really like be encouraged to take these classes and learn from directly the source. And that is how I try my best to give before I start maybe the journey of organizing or other things that, you know, are like linked to different forms of um, work, you know. So that's for me for now, like how I see it. So for you, it's really important to have like this authentic way of bringing this culture to Austria and trying to spread it and give the right people the credit. But obviously, um, I think it's maybe not that easy because in Austria you have, like, I didn't know about that so before. Because mm -hmm. when we invited Joanna the first time to the podcast mm -hmm. for Asti, um, I was like, dancehall in Vienna and Austria is like non-existing because mm -hmm. you don't really hear about it and everything. So um, I think with what you guys are doing, trying to really... Um, bring it here in the right way mm -hmm. it's really important and just like okay we're doing this yeah without even um yeah having like a cultural thing that yeah. you actually need to if you want to understand the culture exactly <laughs> definitely yeah i think it's a very important that's really the reason i think why i say like sometimes i'm so radical with these things that when i dive into a culture first of all it's something personal for me how i am You know, I just like when I like to learn about something, I dive deep. I like to really absorb as much as I can and really understand at the depths of this whole thing, whatever that is, you know, be it a language, be it um, a topic about uh, mental health, be it um, dance hall, be it dance in general. I just like to understand really at the depths of it what it's about. So when I take this culture or this name, this label, dance hall, you know, or Jamaica, what is this about? Like in the beginning, I didn't know, like I used to dance, dance hall without knowing I was dancing it all my life. Actually, you know, I used to always love dancing to Jean Paul, uh, Mr. Vegas, Elephant Man, 
um, so many artists that were Jamaican artists, dancehall artists, and I always loved just, I just was whining without knowing I'm doing a dancehall movement. You know, it was something natural that came out of me, but because I didn't know where it's from, it was super hard to understand it properly, you know. I thought always it's reggaeton, you know, because we knew kind of reggaeton in Austria was kind of more known, like, oh, reggaeton here, reggaeton there. You kind of know about it a little bit, but dancehall, it was not really a word, a genre like of word that you really hear so much. As you say yourself, even with the dancing now, it's kind of like non-existent or it looks non-existent in that sense. But actually, it is existing, even if it's a small scene. And that's why we put so much effort into like continuing that path of keeping it authentic and uh, spreading it in this way so that people actually fall in love with the source itself. You know, I don't want to change it into something else. There's so many beautiful ways of um, naturally, you know, like moving differently. And I, I love that. I appreciate that. But how can we still bring it back to where it came from so that you can get interested in where it came from and want to dive deeper into that aspect as well. So that's why I'm motivated in this way. And also because this authentic way is giving me so much joy in a way that no dance style so far for me ever was able to do so. The only thing that kind of gave me the same form of freedom is authentic hip hop movement, which is like especially the old school hip hop movement you know with hip-hop for example it's something that also changed into so much different things because it came became so commercial it's something that got spread so fast and widely that it was as you can see transformed into so many things in such a short time span and i think with dancehall it started to become in this way and then people got more anxious and they were like okay no we cannot allow this too much you know so that's when Jamaicans also started maybe to say more like, hey, you know, give credit to this. This is this. This is that. It looks sometimes like there's so much rules. But I think the good part about this is, is that they try to preserve it and not allow it to be in any form of way always changed. Because even with Afro, for example, now, I'm not into it. You know, I love Afro movements. I love the music so much. But I never dived into it. So I can never say to myself, I'm an Afro dancer. Never even though I love the movement and it might even naturally come out like this and I could maybe relate to it very much. But I try to distinguish because even with Afro and dancehall at the moment, so much is mixing up with this TikTok era, Instagram era, especially this TikTok and these dance challenges and all of that. They mix up all the movements. I see so much dancehall movement now in Afro challenges and it's called and they call it Afro and then it gets mixed up and confused. And I think that would be also sad for the people that created these movements because they put tears, sweat, their life to danger, maybe just to create these movements, you know, and then, sorry, and then we take it and just, you know, form it into something else just to have some fun for a challenger, you know, stuff like this. So it's beautiful to see connections. But it's also nice to keep sometimes the distinction so you understand where is what from and can uh, feel maybe uh, the the whole thing more deeper and differently, you know. So, yeah, that's pretty much, I hope that makes sense right now. Yeah, so it's about the awareness and the knowledge that you have about the moves and that yes. you know where they come from. Yes, 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 yes. And that is what inspires also for me to continue 
to try to share this way. You already mentioned some names of artists. And we already <laughs> talked about it before, but I want to bring this up. We already talked about it before we started recording this episode. So, yeah. um, but I want to bring this up again. So, um, you mentioned Jean Paul, for example. Mm -hmm. How is the representation of the dancehall culture in the music videos and everything? Because we already talked about that it. it's not always Jamaican people doing the jobs mm -hmm. that actually know about the culture and yes. everything. Yes. So even with Jamaican artists right now, some of them, they really pay attention into putting Jamaican dancers, local dancers in their videos. A lot of them not. A lot of them also get kind of, I would say, maybe carried away by thinking that if they put European or some other people in their in their video that maybe it gets more views or more likes or something like this or more hype around it. I don't know exactly the reason what what is the intention behind it or what brings um, Jamaican artists to do that. For me, of course, it's an amazing opportunity if I'm in Jamaica right now and suddenly, you know, Sean Paul considers me for his video or Shansia considers me for his video. It's an amazing feeling, but it's also like, It comes with a responsibility, like thinking about, do I really deserve this right now? Not thinking because of my personal way. I deserve as a person. Of course I deserve. But do I deserve this now over a Jamaican person? You know, like in the in the end, it would be actually better if the Jamaican person then gets that job. So obviously, yeah, th those things are stuff that to be aware of and it, or important to think at least about, you know, and try to see how you can also create space for Jamaican people to get their credits. And we were talking before in the podcast about the fact, for example, with this Chris Brown situation, yeah, like where Chris Brown put this uh, song out, which is actually with an African artist, you know, like a Nigerian artist. And um, they were doing uh, dancehall movements in it. There was like a big fuss around this uh, quite some months ago. Uh, where then some Jamaicans, you know, stood up for that and then they did their videos showing, representing their movements from their crew because those were like dancehall movements from specific crews that we all know that are diving, that are like involved in dancehall. The people that are involved in dancehall, they know that these are dancehall movements, you know. So, for example, if you look at that then, if he, for example, really knew in that moment from that person whoever taught him this choreo because i know there was a guy who's jamaican in a sense he he taught chris brown this kind of choreo combo whatever movements if he really for example made him aware of hey these are the creators of these movements maybe chris brown could have arranged to bring these people into the video it would have been a completely different thing you know but so many so many times these things are lacking in that scene. And that's also something about the scene sometimes I'm sad about because so much is going missing and then other people are performing these movements without that same feeling because they don't know about it. They don't really understand the movement in depth of why it's created, what it's called, why it goes like this. And then they just dance it maybe with a great, um, how do you say, technique in a sense. But The groove is not there. The groove is different, completely different. The feeling of the movement and the texture of the movement is changed. You understand? So that is also what happened in the in the in the video with with Chris Brown, for example. When I watch the video, when we all watch the video, we can see that the way they dance, the movement, it's even altered. Like it's a little bit changed, and it's a completely different feeling to it. Because there was even at the end a gun move <laughs> that he was dancing, but in a smooth way. 
you know. So it became something completely else than what it was. Um, and those are the things where I'm just thinking, yeah, as you say, like it would be so important if not only to make an artist, but artists in general, when they really benefit from this culture in some form of way, just put the people in it, man. It's not so hard, especially people that, that, that can afford it, you know, like a Chris Brown. He has millions and billions of money. Like he can afford flying to Jamaica and making a music video there. Like he can afford that, you know? So I think those things are definitely still lacking in our scene nowadays, like still lacking. And that's when, when I say like, it's kind of nice that Jamaicans usually stand up for that very harshly and strong. <laughs> They're direct and blunt. And I love that about it because we sometimes need that, you know, we need to be called out. We need to see that. We need sometimes to have this kind of side where we start to think and maybe consider differently after, you know, it's hard. You know, like I was scared many times. Oh my God, if I ever come in this position that I'm being judged like that, because, you know, obviously I'm scared to do things wrong as well, the way I do it, teaching classes in Vienna and all of that. But at least I know I will be maybe judged harshly, but I, it will make me think and grow. It will make me th rethink and grow and do things maybe in a better way than afterwards that can actually benefit Jamaicans and make them feel also welcome and, and appreciated. You know, so that is very important to me. Yeah. I actually have nothing to add to that or to go <laughs> deeper into. <laughs> I got carried away. <laughs> I always get carried away when I start talking, man. But that's in, in a good way. Hopefully. You explained a lot. I'm happy to hear that. I have, I'm happy that uh, maybe this can also bring some awareness um, in aspects where we sometimes just lack awareness me included i'm not mm. any you know mm. saint or a perfect person or something i don't believe in that i believe in authentic real and that means also looking into yourself and things that you do and start try to do it better each time even if you fail 10 times at least try it at the 11th time maybe you do it better you know yeah so i mean the whole point of this podcast is like spreading the word and bringing out knowledge to people who maybe even never thought about this topic or exactly. any kind of this. So um, I'm really happy to have people who open up and tell us about that. No, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really happy actually that this is also happening. I've been craving to actually talk about these kind of things a long time. So now you found a way to do it yes i have the space to do it hopefully yes. you guys are gonna listen yes this is a very very cool episode so if you're still listening <laughs> if you're still listening you're the real mvp yes <laughs> okay so let's come to the last point maybe what's your current perspective on life what are you currently doing and how did all the thing you all the stuff you experienced before um correlate to your current state of mind and everything mm -hmm. so now in 2023 yeah i've been self-employed actually now for three years it's been three years now i've been self-employed with the dancing so i finally made the jump in 2020 to to try it to really make a business out of this for myself unfortunately corona hit in march <laughs> So there was not much time. I was still staying self-employed. It was a hustle. Um, that's why I also considered working again in retail, which I do now at least uh, as well. 
Um, I work for Nike at the moment um, and I am self-employed. So these two things um, together are the combination that I'm doing at the moment. So I have the customer service on the day with Nike, same way. But uh, with the dancing, for example, with my business, I need the same approach. So um, it's kind of also connected. Because before I was never really sure what will a job like, you know, customer service at a retail, like, like a shop, you know, what will that really help me with the dancing? Like, how is that going to connect? When I started my business, I actually realized how much it, that is needed and how much it's important that I have the know-how how to sell something. <laughs> because I have to actually sell um, the dancing. In this aspect, it's actually me <laughs> because I'm selling my product as in like my classes, the dancing. So then I realized um, it's super correlated. So this is actually the standpoint I'm at now. I'm, I'm full-time um, self-employed with the dancing and do my projects and workshops and uh, weekly classes, um, stuff like this, one-on-one -on -one sessions. And at the same time, I work in retail 30 hours a week. Um, and this is how I combine my daily life for now. Um, exactly. The other aspect that I also think is very connected to dancing itself or what a dance in general always um, represented for me was the mental health aspect. So for me, I've really prioritized my mental health, meaning not that I have always a good mental health situation, but meaning that I really care about looking after my mental health because I believe in psychosomatics very strongly that everything kind of will have a domino effect if your mental health is not stable it's going to have a domino effect in all areas of your life meaning also dancing meaning also at work at Nike or anything else so yeah that's why for me um, the authenticity that I was talking about before when I was talking about approaching my dance journey is also connected to my mental health state. Um, it goes hand in hand because if I didn't prioritize authenticity in my mental health journey, like for example, how I, um, how I allow certain things to happen, like when I go to therapy, for example, I go to therapy, right? Um, how do I approach my, my sessions in therapy? Am I going to be honest with myself? and where I stand right now and what is going on in my life or am I going to mask it off, uh, make it look different, um, aim for perfectionism, um, stuff like this, you know. I, I believe those things can really block me in my journey and that is something I learned in my personal way. So that's why I also kind of spread it on my professional lifestyle, which is the dancing, for example. Even even at Nike, I, I have this approach as well, like how I work, you know, what, what my work ethic is. My work ethic, it would be, I care about um, putting my best into it. But at the same time, I also care about being real. So my work ethic is that um, I care about putting my best. With, what does my best mean though? It means being also true to myself on how I feel today and not demanding or expecting something unrealistic from, from me, you know? Like, this approach really helped me in all areas of my life, including dance, including in my, in my journey in, in psychotherapy, including at work at Nike. It just helps you to really um, 
have compassion with yourself, but still push yourself, you know, like in a very realistic way. Um, so that's why for me, these topics um, very are very important and they are very connected to each other. I think if I didn't think like this in my personal life, probably my work ethic and my professional life would look completely different, which it did look different back in the days a lot. I had a lot of problems with perfectionism because these kind of things you kind of learn also in the, in the dance scene. You kind of learn, oh, this has to be perfect and your finger has to be like this and the line has to be like this. And especially in New York, it was crazy. Like it was very, very uh, focused on that, you know. So um, that is where this kind of approach and uh, different things like yoga, for example, even the, the mindset of yoga or uh, yeah, different aspects like spirituality and, and psychology really helped me to to gain more like a realistic view on the demands I have towards myself, how I approach things. And that's also influencing how I teach my students. How do I teach my students um, dance classes? You know, I'm teaching them with the same approach, which means to be compassionate towards themselves, but push themselves in a playful way and still aim high. Even if if today the only thing you can give is one hand up, you know, if that's your best performance today, it's your best performance today. And that's okay. And that it's also possible this way to reach far. And it's also possible this way to become professional, to be taken serious. It doesn't always have to be other ways. And that's basically one, one last topic I wanted to kind of mention. Um, when I was mentioning before about authenticity and all of that and how that, you know, correlates together to my mental state of mind, um, how I approach these things and everything. So, yeah, and how I, I really, how do you say, like value? I really value mental health. Like, I think that's super important. It's where it starts and where everything ends. If you're not mentally here, nothing in your life will be here. So that's how I believe. And that's how I just also experienced in my own life. So since my mental health has been worked on a lot over the years and improved in many ways, I can also have bigger capacity to do more. I have bigger capacity to to create more, to just, to just have more energy, just more energy for things. Plus I have an approach where I'm, I'm not... Um, too harsh with myself so that also helps like when I'm in stressful times to not beat myself up completely on it and um, yeah I think it's very um, efficient this way and hopefully when people come to my class uh, my students they they will be able to grasp this kind of mindset and put it in their life in any form of way. I think that would be a beautiful way to end this episode. For everybody who's now interested in you, where can people find you? Oh, yeah, they can find me on Instagram, <laughs> either with my normal name, Ines Antic, with a C at the end, or you can also type Inessa, double, no, no, Inessa, under slash, homegirl. That would be my Instagram account. And on Facebook and YouTube, you can find me with my full name, Ines Antic. That's pretty much where you can find me. Yeah. We're gonna put everything in the description down below, mm -hmm. and obviously on Instagram as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So at, where I'm the most Instagram, just a, a tip for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Good. So at this point, thank you so much for coming and for telling us so much about your perspectives and your experiences. Mm-hmm. You, thank you for having me. <laughs> you guys already know where you can find us, either on Instagram, grenzenlos under slash your under slash no, grenzenlos under slash dein under slash tanzpodcast to mix up the languages here. It's a bit complicated. <laughs> um, and yeah, if you want to reach us by email, grenzenlos.viana at gmail.com. We're really happy to have had you here and we wish you guys uh, amazing next week and um, a good start into the new year I guess so. I hope you did have a good start into the new year new year new year it's my favorite <laughs> year okay Jordan year 23 is with the money tree and just have fun with it enjoy the rest of the year and hopefully I'll talk to you guys soon again <laughs> <laughs>